Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for February 9th, 2022. A bit of a smaller week this week, which is always good for the old wallet. Uh, there is quite a few DC books. I guess last week was the week that was a light DC week with only like eight or nine books. This week, there's like 15. So just a quick reminder, if you are looking for reviews on the DC stuff, we review those on the Tuesday DC Spotlight since DC books now come out on Tuesday. And the DC Spotlight has full spoilers. Like we break down those books. We talk about story beats. We talk about cliffhangers. We talk about all kinds of spoilers. So just be aware. Uh, but when Jay and I break down the books today, no spoilers for the most part. Uh, you know, we might talk about stuff that you might see on the cover, stuff that might have been in the solicits, but we're not going to give the story away, so to speak. So, um, yeah, like I said, not a, not a ton of books, but uh, but some really good ones. So we'll kick it off with uh, Aftershock. This is a book that Jay and I both really enjoyed the first issue. Uh, the second issue is now out. It's called Bylines in Blood. It's written by Erica Schultz and Van Jensen. Aneki is the artist. Cardinal Ray does the letters. Uh, so what do you think of the second issue? Well, I think like the, the first one, we know that the uh, main uh, character, uh, Satea, I think I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, she's on the hunt to see who killed her uh, or meant her, uh, her old partner from the newspaper. I guess he was the editor. And the last we left with the the last issue left with a, cl- a cliffhanger who the the bad guy might be. So I don't want to give away too much of that, but it's actually pretty cool. I like the little fight sequence in that. She goes through a lot. She ends up like I don't get, I guess like uh in a riot. I guess and ends up in a party, and then after a bunch of beatdowns, she kind of the ending kind of tells you of who she suspects the the killer is. I like it. Like I said, you see kind of fast paced the story but i liked it and i uh kind of see where it goes from there you know it's just like the story just like the whole you know detective uh theme behind it but we're never really doesn't really give you like the years i'm guessing it's like in the future some because of the technology i guess like in the far future i'm guessing yeah um it doesn't it doesn't get into that stuff but it, it certainly pulls from you know real life in terms of they mentioned like this terrible thing that's happened and they literally call it a pandemic. Um, and then obviously, you know, Satea used to be a reporter and she's, she's, you know, searching for the, the murder of her former mentor, her editor, like Jay said. Um, and there's this whole idea of those in power abusing their power. So again, you know, parallels to real life politicians uh, trying to, stay in power and and the distrust of of media which that that to me is a really fascinating aspect of the story because van jensen used to be a news newspaper reporter i think he worked the crime beat um and i think in somewhere in georgia so anyway i I think it's a great story i think the art that aneki uh does is is fantastic um i i do feel like there was a little more world building in the first issue which for me uh kind of sucked me in a little bit more uh the second issue we got a lot of forward momentum on the story uh satea thinks she knows who's behind it uh or at least has a a strong suspect and so the the actual sort of mystery part of the story moves forward more in the second issue but there's not as much world building so 
Uh, it's still very, very good. Uh, typically, these Aftershock titles are four or five issues, uh, and it feels like it's on a pace to be um, about that. So, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Great cover. Really, really recommend it. Uh, okay, let's see. First book I'm going to talk about is Avengers number 53. This is the Death Hunters part three. And this has been a, a weird title for me. So I think I read the first issue of Jason Aaron's Avengers and then immediately like dropped it. And, you know, going against my own advice that I always tell everybody, you make sure you read at least two issues of a, of a series. But I, I'm not the biggest Avengers guy. And his lineup didn't really do it for me. I really disliked She-Hulk, what they did with her and, and the way she was drawn. And I was reading a ton of books. And I was like, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not going to jump on. And then I dipped in from time to time. And every time I did, I was like, man, this is really good. Man, this is really good. And then, of course, I picked up issue 50, which was legacy number 750. And I loved what Jason Aaron was doing because it was a lot of the stuff that he had done in Heroes Reborn in terms of leaning into the, the I'm going to use this word, the Marvel multiverse, which I find to be funny, right? For decades, literally, de not years, decades, Marvel zombies were would make fun of DC fans saying, man, your DC universe is so screwed up with all these different versions of the same characters and multiverse. And that's just garbage. They would literally make fun or, or demean DC fans for that. And now here's Marvel years later with variants and the Loki show and leaning into all these different earths, you know, it used to just be, Oh, six, one, six. And now, you know, 818. Now there's now there's a Marvel multiverse and all these Marvel fans are like, this is the coolest thing. This is so great. I'm like, really? You guys were making fun of DC just a few years ago for doing the same thing. So I, I, I find that ironic in, in a lot of ways, but there there's only so many stories you can tell, right? When you're telling this the, with the same heroes, with the same people, the illusion of change, like Jerry Conway, when he was on recently was talking about. So I don't mind that they're pulling in different stuff. It, it opens up a whole new world, uh, many worlds, and a whole new uh, potential for stories. I mean, look what's going on in, in The Devil's Reign Superior 4, right? With Dr. Octopus having a, here, here's a, here's a Wolverine that has, you know, here, here's a Wolverine from a different Earth that Otto Octavius took over his body. Like he took over Peter Parker in the 616. And he also took over a Hulk and he also took over a Ghost Rider. That's just cool. That's just cool. You got a superior Hulk, you got a superior Wolverine, and you got a, a superior Ghost Rider. And they're, they have their normal powers that those characters would have, but their, their personality is Dr. Octopus. Like, that's just fun. And so it's this kind of stuff that when I picked up Avengers 50, this whole uh, master, how do they call it? The multiversal masters of evil. The masters of evil, classic villain group that's an enemy of the, the avengers but we've seen that story we've seen the avengers take on the masters of evil countless times but this is different because now they're going up against the black skull well who's the black skull you ask well the black skull's eddie brock and he's venom but he's also mixed in with the red skull so it's mashing up those characters here's uh ghost goblin who's ghost goblin you ask it's norman osborne like the green goblin but he also has Ghost Rider powers, but his flames are green, like, you know, Green Goblin. 
it's just really cool stuff. And it, the, and the, this version of the, of the multiversal masters of evil is led by a version of Dr. Doom who pretty much gave up on science uh, and went all in on, on sorcery. And he's, he's basically the sorcerer supreme of, of the multiverse, but in an evil way. So with these characters, you're raising the threat level, you're getting something new, you're getting something different. They're taking on this version of the Avengers, which again, it's, it's not my favorite version in terms of what heroes we have. Captain America's there, big fan. She-Hulk's there, and it's more the, the traditional She-Hulk. Iron Man's there. So, you know, those are all pretty good. Now, Thor, ah, I could take it or leave it. I'm not a fan of the Robbie Race Ghost Rider. I've talked about that a lot because I just don't think Ghost Rider should drive a car. Um, Carol Danvers is there, Captain Marvel. That's cool. Black Panther, ah, I could take it or leave it. Jane Foster has shown up to help. So is Namor. Again, I just, I'm not big fans of, of uh, Jane Foster, Valkyrie, or, or Namor, whatever. Starbrand's interesting. This version of Starbrand, she's this little girl. That's been intriguing. So, um, it's it's really it's really been interesting for me because I didn't think I was going to like Jason Aaron's Thor. Now I'm finding myself, man, I need to go back and and pick up all the issues that I missed and go back and fill in the run because I think I missed out on I think I missed out on Jason Aaron's uh, run on Avengers. I didn't hear enough people talking about it. You know, like everybody raved about his run on Thor, really long years long run on Thor. I'd never been a Thor guy, so I I stayed away. Um, but this is a lot of fun. And in this particular issue, the multiversal masters of evil make um, make an assault. Some of them make an assault on uh, Avengers Tower, which is another cool idea that Aaron came up with. That the Avengers headquarters right now is is literally in a celestial, like they're inside of a celestial. Um, so we get that battle, and uh, and it's a, it's just a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. Um, so I can't say much more than that without spoiling the story. But uh, I'm in with Avengers right now. And not only that, there's also the Avengers Forever storyline, which I'm not a fan of reusing that name because I think that's a perfect name for the story that exists by Kurt Busiek. Uh, and I think the art was by George, was it by George Perez. Anyway, um, I think they should have called it something else, but that's leaning into this idea of, uh, of different versions of, of classic heroes as well. Um, but mashed up in a different way, like Tony Stark is Ant-Man, for example, um, on Earth 818. So that's that's been a lot of fun also. So I recommend both both the Avengers titles that Jason Aaron is reading right now uh, or writing <laughs> right now, I should say. Uh, OK, up next, we have uh, our weekly issue of Amazing Spider-Man. It's actually one of the, the decimal issues, the point issues. So it's 88 point Bay or 88 point B-E-Y. It's written by Jeffrey Thorne. We have Jan Basildua and Jim Toe as the artists. Jim Campbell does the colors and Joe Caramani on letters. Uh, what are your thoughts there, Jay? Well, I'm, I'm guessing when they do these different little, like, BY or BY, I guess they're going to be not Spider-Man or Peter or uh, or Ben, I'm assuming. I don't, I'm not sure what scene they're, they're going with. But uh, this one focuses on um, Hobby Brown who was the original Prowler, now he's turned Hornet, and he's, you know, doing the superhero thing. 
not get away too much in there. The corporation or uh, what do you call it? Uh, Beyond Corporation, you know, six or little pause in his his dealings. But it turns out to be a win, I guess you can say, for him, <laughs> which leads to uh, him trying to find his uh, friend, uh, Ricochet. I wasn't a really a big fan because I guess I was really anticipating what we left off with the uh, the last, I guess, the new villain, uh, Goblin Queen, right? Was that it? Yeah, queen, uh, queen, no, Goblin Queen is Madeline Pryor. <laughs> so this is Queen, queen Goblin. Goblin, yeah. 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 So that, I was looking forward to that character. I was like, okay, because we left off with her. I was like, oh, okay, but it kind of doesn't do that. It goes with a different direction. And the ending, and this is kind of strange because you get like a job offer. So <laughs> I don't know. It's a little different, but I guess it wasn't too terrible. I, I We talked about it before we, we started uh, recording and uh, I didn't appreciate it, but I read it again. I was like, okay, it wasn't too bad because it's still, uh, I guess the Spider-Man universe. And I guess uh, they all connect the dots later on. I'm, I'm going to go with that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I, and we've talked before about the ne- necessity for these point issues. Like if it's important enough to put in the issue, then just put it in the issue. And if, if you don't want to, if you feel like, okay, I don't have the real estate, st- you know, Take these pages and divide them up and put them in the previous issues and just push everything back a little bit. But again, I, you know, I'm making it sound a lot easier than it is. Um, but it, like, why is this called Amazing Spider-Man? It's just like when we had the, the one with, um, with Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, where, where Ben and Peter didn't show up at all. And we were wondering, why is this called Amazing Spider-Man? Yes, those two women are working for the Beyond Corporation, but... Again, it just it feels like a little bit of a stretch. Um, it's almost like you know the old school Spider-Man. We used to have these other long running plot threads in the background, um, and and they would be in the regular book. But now we're we're taking all that, we're smashing it into one book. So it, in a way, it kind of works. And I guess I guess when it comes to these point issues, the way I look at it, it's like if it happens to be a story that resonates with you or you think is fun, then you like it. And if it's not, then you know, kind of like you said, you're, you're like, man, I want the queen goblin story. I want the main story. Why are we, you know, but I guess in a way we're spoiled. We're, we're getting for the most part, three issues of amazing Spider-Man that's actually starring amazing Spider-Man or Ben Riley right now a month. So if they're doing one issue, that's a point issue and it's somebody else. I mean, we're still getting three issues. I guess we can be too greedy. Um, for me, I d- did really enjoy this. And I think part of the reason was, so I saw it was written by Jeffrey Thorne. Now, I haven't been the, the biggest fan of Jeffrey Thorne over on the DC side of things where he's writing the Green Lantern title. Uh, and Thorne, he's been on social media talking about how much he loves Jon Stewart. Uh, and he hates Hal Jordan. Like, he thinks Hal Jordan is like the worst fictional character ever created or something like that. Like he's he pushed it way you know, far and a lot of it's hyperbole or whatever. And I get that. And then he, when, when he was named green lantern writer, people gave him some pushback on it. And he's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm professional enough that I can separate my feelings and, you know, and to his credit when Hal Jordan, it's been very little, but when Hal Jordan has shown up in the green lantern title, he's written him. Well, I think the problem I have is the way he's writing John Stewart. It's almost like fan fiction. Like he's, he's given John Stewart, like the powers of a God. It, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't, that part doesn't feel professional, right? Like it feels like it's over the top. Yeah, exactly. That's the best way to put it. It's over the top. So I, I didn't, I was like, oh, Jeffrey Thorne, man, the guy has not to this point earned my trust. 
So I saw that he was writing it and I was like, oh man, I, I don't know if I'm going to like this. You know what? I didn't like it. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm like, man, th- here's the key for Jeffrey Thorne. This guy can have a great career in comics. He just needs to not write Jon Stewart, right? He, he, and, <laughs> and I get it. I get it. I would, I would probably do the same thing if I was in Jeffrey Thorne's position and I wrote a character that I loved. I'd want them to, you know, I've, I've come up with ideas in my head and I want them to come up, you know, it was really great and, and noble and, and powerful. And I probably would succumb to the same kind of thing. And maybe he'll get to the point where he can write John Stewart. Um, once he's kind of gotten that out of his system, you know, a little bit of the, the fanboy. Um, but like, the, and again, I know it's only one issue, so maybe it's too soon for me to say, but I, I thought this was fantastic, man. I love the characterization he gave to Hobie Brown and, uh, and the rest of these uh, Spider-Man supporting cast members I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought the art was great. Like, I, I just love this, man. Like, I want this um, this team, as they're called, the uh, the Slingers, which we've, we've seen that name before given to groups of heroes in Spider-Man books. Uh, I'd be down for a Slingers title written by Jeffrey Thorne. Like, this was just really, really good. So uh, I didn't mind at all that we didn't get a continuation of the the queen goblin storyline, which, you know, again, all the credit to, to Jeffrey Thorne and the, and the rest of the creative team for that. So, um, all right, let's see up next. I have the 10 deaths of Wolverine issue number two, written by Benjamin Percy, Frederico Vincentini does the art Dijo Lima on colors, Corey Petit on letters. This was a really fast paced issue. (laughs) So this picks up right where the Inferno series left off uh, at least issue one of it did where uh you know Moira mctaggart and her mutant ability to reincarnate over time and has lived all these different lives and for that reason um she recruited professor x and magneto and that's how the whole powers of x powers of 10 or house of x powers of 10 and the island of krakoa and mutant nation and all that stuff has come about but in order to keep that going Moira's one rule for Xavier and Magneto was, hey, we can't have any any mutants that have the ability to, to see the future because they'll realize what's happening, that we're trying to manipulate things so that mutants aren't, uh, that don't become extinct. The, the uh, Nimrod uh, cyborg uh, or, or Nimrod artificial machine intelligence doesn't come online and trying to prevent that that future from coming around. But Mystique, who is in love with Destiny, eventually was able to manipulate events to have Destiny come back. Destiny realized that Moira was a threat to her. They took away Moira's power. Um, she, if Moira dies now, that's it. She's, she's dead. Uh, who knows what effect it will have on the future and all that. So Moira was able to escape because Destiny and, uh, and this all happened in Inferno, Destiny and Mystique where, you know, let's take away your power and then let's kill her. And then our future is no longer malleable, you know, no longer because Moira would have done whatever she could to, to take destiny off the board again, if they hadn't taken out Moira. So Moira is on the run. And when professor Xavier finds out about it, at the beginning of, uh, of the 10 deaths of Wolverine series, he sends Wolverine after her, but it's not necessarily the Wolverine that you see, it's like, it's almost like a Wolverine warlock hybrid. It's not clear um, what exactly is going on there. So she's on the run. 
Mystique is trying to hunt her down. Destiny's serving as kind of her um, eyes and ears, giving Mystique uh, any information she gets through tracking Moira or, you know, police reports or if she gets any psychic flashes. And Wolverine appears, this warlock Wolverine hybrid appears to be trying to save uh, Moira. So not sure where the heck it's going. What we do know is the 10 lives and 10 deaths of Wolverine series are going to usher in the second age of Krakoa, just like House of X and Powers of 10 ushered in the first age. So I feel like, I mean, if you're an X-Men person, if you're invested in the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe, you definitely should be reading this. Um, but beyond that, it's it's just really fat. This issue was over before I knew it, but in a good way. And I immediately wanted more. So, um, and I love kind of the agency that Benjamin Percy is giving Moira, you know, in the past, Whereas she hasn't been the most consistently depicted character in the X universe, you know, sometimes, first of all, we didn't even know she was a mutant for a long time until, well, cause she wasn't a mutant until Jonathan Hickman made her one. Um, but she's kind of badass in this. And I like that. Like she's very capable. Um, she's capable hand to hand fighter. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. She's lived her life, you know, I think 10 or 11 times at this point. So she's picked up some tricks along the way and she's definitely, she definitely needs them with Mystique hunting her. So uh, definitely recommend picking up that series. Uh, okay. Up next for Jay is Maestro World War M. This is from writer Peter David, Herman Peralta on art. Jesus Arbatov does the colors. Pascal Ferry uh, has uh, some art as well. The opening scene, Matt Hollingworth does the colors for that opening scene. And then the letters are by Ariana Mayer. Uh, what'd you think of this one, Jay? Well, it's like, uh, well, we're talking about it before. It's like, uh, how many stories can you tell a maestro? Because it's kind of like, kind of like being a dead horse, I guess you can say at this point. But this is supposed to be the last, uh, I guess, mini series of Maestro. So I guess we're going to tie it up with this series. It wasn't bad. I uh, I didn't know what to expect, really. But it, it starts off really good, though, because we get some uh, an old friend. I guess, because he's in the cover, so I'm not giving away anything. It's uh, Abomination and, of course, his name are. So it's going to be interesting how they all play out and who's going to do what's going to happen in the next battle. But uh, I'm kind of hooked on it now because, you know, you got some superpower houses now that, you know, because uh, Abomination, you can't kill him at all. <laughs> it's like the Hulk. He just keeps coming back. And Namor is like, of course, you know, the the first and the badass mutant. He's still, you know, survived the war. He's still, you know, kicking. He's still got his world going on down in the ocean. And of course, there's another surprise uh, guest, but I don't want to give that away. But it it's got me intrigued. Yeah, I, I want to see where they're going to go with it. Because at this point, Hog isn't the Hog. You know, he's just a a dictator. He's just trying to take over everything. But it should be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely in the vein of of what Future Imperfect was. Um, and yeah, I, I sort of agree with you. Like what I thought the first World War or. Um, the first maestro can't remember what they call what they called the first one i know the second one was war and peace can't remember what the first one but anyway um when they brought it back like i i, I thought we were going to see i thought we were going to see the hulk transform into maestro like through circumstance um because that's sort of what the first issue led me to believe and then it turned out not to be the case it was almost like he just decided and he just became evil. So it, the first one didn't end up being what I what I thought it was going to be, but uh, it ended up being just more of an action 
story and less cerebral. Second one continued that, and now we're on the third. Um, and I do hope, like you said, that it does wrap up the story, that we do get a resolution. Um, but I guess that remains to be seen. But it is it is an action romp. Um, and, and the Herman Peralta art, he's the one that did the art on the first series, uh, and it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, and that second <laughs> surprise uh, hero that shows up, yeah, really, really great. And, and definitely gives um, Herman a chance to let his art shine for sure. And so. we were talking, you know, I just want to say real quick, it's like, like we were talking about that character last week and it's like, okay, now it all comes to play now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, all right. Up next for me, Devil's Reign part four of six. This is written by Chip Sadarsky, Marco Cicchetto on art. Marcio Menez does the colors, letters are by Clayton Cowles. Uh, you want to talk about a big reveal and not necessarily a cliffhanger, but there's a very important event that happens on the final page of this issue. And it's, it's like a Holy shit moment. So um, I go back and forth on this one because the whole idea of superheroes being outlawed within the city limits of New York, like we've had this storyline before we had it in civil war. I don't know that this is necessary uh, to be going down this path again, but Zdarsky is introducing enough other aspects to the story that that makes it different enough and I'm, I'm definitely interested which you know we that's kind of a theme for him i mean he put matt in jail previously you know we've seen that before so you know trust zadarsky to to make it his own and to bring emotion to it and that's a lot of what there is in this issue there's a lot of uh, emotion so we know that last issue Again, it's not a spoiler because it was revealed last. Well, we knew the purple man was under the control of the kingpin uh, for a while. And that's how he's been ahead in the polls and trying to win this re-election as mayor of New York. But the Avengers discovered it last issue. So last issue was a real a real bad one for the for the heroes. They they discovered that uh, that the kingpin is controlling purple man. So they tried a frontal assault and got their butts kicked by a Dr. Octopus and the Superior Four, those other versions of Doc Ock, like I said, the Incredible Hulk version and the Ghost Rider version and the Wolverine version. And so they're kind of licking their wounds in this issue, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Um, and it's not entirely clear what they're going to do, how they're going to win, what options they might have. And then just as all this is going down, they're trying to regroup something happens with the kingpin where he's probably about to turn up the heat on the heroes. So uh, it, it really is a very kind of more emotional and grounded version of civil war in a lot of ways uh, with gorgeous art by Marco Cicchetto. The colors by Menez are very good as well. Just gorgeous, gorgeous art. Uh, Marco Cicchetto is quickly becoming like my, one of my favorite daredevil artists of all time. So uh, I definitely think people should be reading that. Uh, up next for Jay, Monkey Meat, issue number two. This is from Juni Ba. And apparently, this is somewhat of an anthology series where we're going to get like a different type of story every issue, apparently. Yeah, I was going to say that earlier. Like, I, I, asked, I thought it was going to be like a continuation of one story, but uh, yeah, I guess we're getting 
different one in every issue, I guess, <laughs> which is all right. I mean, it's it's kind of fun. Like I said, I don't know if you read the first one yet or not. Or no, I haven't had. Uh, oh, okay. Well, it's got that silly little art to it. You know, I I kind of appreciate it. It's uh, pretty much black and white, and there's a little bit of color here and there, but it focuses on a, a little kid uh, that's kind of isolated and kind of like picked on, and then he gets a chance to you know get uh, powers once he gets to the Monkey Island and he gets a job with working for Monkey Meat. <laughs> So a bunch of stuff goes trans. It, you, it's I don't want to give away, but there's a lot of little battles that go on to the very. But when you get to the end of the story, that's like uh, kind of reminds me of Ice Cream Man. The ending isn't what you think it's going to be. It's it's like wow, okay, that's how I did this. So that's I guess the end of this story, and the, and the very end, I guess you guess you get a preview for the next story. So I guess it's going to be another separate issue altogether. I, I appreciate the artwork on this because it's um, just kind of uh, i don't know how to put it it's uh not clean but the storytelling fits it perfectly i just i just like it and i guess instead of having the uh ice cream man be the narrator of the story we got the uh i guess the, the accountant that's actually the main monkey guy that's that's you know kind of introducing the characters and in, in the storyline it's fun I, I i enjoy it actually yeah i wonder if if uh, trying to capture a little bit of that I, uh, that ice cream man crowd to see if they'll uh, enjoy it or not. Yeah. Uh, okay. Up next, I have uh, Phenom X number four. This is the final issue. Script and plot by John Leguizamo, Adam, uh, Aram Rappaport, Joe Miziak, and Damon Slarity. Art is by Chris Batista. Inks are by Sabrina Cintrone. Colors by Chris Sotomayor. Letters by Anworld Design. Uh, this ended up being a, a pretty solid series. Very emotional there's a lot of stuff in here between um the two brothers um and and at one point you you start to really i don't want to say that the uh the political political aspects of the story are are over the top but you're definitely aware of them um but then it in starting with issue three a lot of that starts to take a back seat to just the action in the story. So um, I think if I have any complaint about it, I think that could have been balanced out a little bit better. Um, but I, you know, I don't, I, I'm glad that the political stuff is in there because it, it needs to be said and there needs to be more Latino heroes and Latina heroes. And it needs to be sort of more, you know, more representative. So, uh, so overall, I think this ended up being a pretty good series. The Chris Batista art was solid throughout. There's a lot of potential, uh, for these characters, uh, especially for the character. Um, that's basically, <laughs> it's basically based on, uh, John Leguizamo's character, uh, you know, basically like if, if this ever turned into, uh, a movie, you know, John Leguizamo would be, uh, you know, the, he would be the hero. He, he would be the main guy. So he has a, a power that's uh, kind of similar to the absorbing man in a lot of ways. Like when he touches things, he can kind of absorb their, their properties. Um, so again, I, I think there's a lot to like here, but at the same time, I feel like 
not that it could have been done better, but if there's any complaint, it's about the pacing. So that that's not the easiest thing to get right when it's a new when it's a new comic book writer. So, um, but the emotion in the story, the the interplay between um, the Leguizamo character, whose whose name is actually Max Gomez, he's the main character, and then his his brother Mark Gomez. Uh, is another one of the characters in the book and and their relationship and their interaction uh, feels very authentic. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of potential here. I'm going to be curious to see if uh, after these first four issues, which finishes off this first arc, I, I haven't seen any more of issues of it uh, solicited. So I don't know if this is the end or if it's the end for now, if we're going to get more, but um, if you have somebody who's looking for Latin heroes, uh, or Latin comics, this has a lot of touchstones, a lot of relevance, um, and especially the first couple of issues deal with a lot of the kind of the prejudice against uh, Latin. So, uh, okay, last book for Jay is Moon Knight. This issue is entitled Scarlet, written by Jed McKay. Art is by Alessandro Capuccio. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by Cordy Petit. Not too bad. Um, I guess since Moon Knight is actually doing the battle somewhere else, they got uh, Hunter's Moon uh, taking over, I guess, uh, taking over the, the church. And he gets approached and he's got to take a case on, um, I think it was, what was it, uh, Stained Glass Scarlet, which is kind of a weird name, but uh, it wasn't a bad issue. I mean, I always did like the Moon Knight because I like the color and the the art in it i, th- I just appreciate the, the colors in it but this one was very bright because uh the other character is uh most sand and glass scarlet so it's obviously red so it's red versus uh black and white but it was it wasn't bad i mean it's pretty much uh i don't get way too much of it but the the, the stained glass gets your strength from one uh aspect of the, of uh of, from people and uh hunter moon gets uh their god uh gets it from uh was it co i'm gonna say it wrong is it a kohoshu kohoshu kanushu is that the god from Moon Knight? Kanshu, yeah yeah I, I was butcher it but yeah i guess he gets power from from uh hunter's moon so it's like a guy versus guy it was actually a pretty good issue um i guess it wasn't too bad of a fill-in for moon knight while he's you know taken out of the storyline but all in all I, I enjoyed it it wasn't too terrible but danny though it gives you like uh not a cliffhanger like we were talking about earlier, but it's just we have another baddie coming in the picture, you know, so we're going to see what happens in the next issue when, I guess, Moon Knight comes back. Yeah, Moon Knight, uh, he's he's one of the heroes that, that's locked up because uh, he was operating in New York and uh, and Fisk had him locked up. So uh, that's where he's at these days. So, yeah, Hunter's Moon uh, taking over. Yeah, it was solid. The art by Alessandro Capuccio especially is really good. His his art's a little gritty, which suits kind of the um, the street feel of uh, of what Jed McKay's going for. Uh, all right, last book I'm going to talk about is Radiant Black, number twelve. Uh, this is entitled Pink. It's written by Kyle Higgins and Megan Camarena. Art is by French Carlo Magno. Colors by Matteo Icono. Letters by Diego Sanchez. Editor and design Michael Basudel. Uh, and it, like I said, it is entitled Pink. So as you might guess, it is the origin story for Radiant Pink, uh, who's another one of the Radiants who 
uh, has you know the powers of a black hole. Her powers specifically allow her to teleport. And uh, I really appreciated the art style, especially in this issue um, by, uh, by French Carlo Magno. It's, it's much more of a, I wouldn't go so far as to say photorealistic style, but it's, it's less exaggerated in terms of anatomy than the art we've had on it before, which sort of suits the sort of real life relatable issues that, uh, that Radiant Pink has. Um, she's, <laughs> she's a social media influencer. And, you know, I, I know that a lot of people aspire to that, but I think that, uh, Kyle Higgins and Megan Camarena, who I, if I'm not mistaken, Megan Camarena's, um, she's a social media person. She has a, her own Twitch channel. It's a pretty big following. Um, so I'm sure that's why Kyle brought her on and, you know, she's got experience with, how exhausting it really is and having to be on all the time. It's like being on stage, you know, you're putting on a show, you have to entertain people and you're constantly worried about your followers and your clicks and all that, that kind of thing. Um, so I appreciated the, the realism that's, that uh, was brought to the story. So uh, yeah, big fan of this issue. Um, I think eventually everybody's going to have their favorite radiant. Um, so if you're a fan of, of radiant pink, or you thought you were going to be a fan of Radiant Pink, like really getting to know the person behind the mask here, which will either make you a fan of her or not. I mean, she's very likable um, and dealing with a lot of real world stuff, you know, relationship problems. And like I said, social media problems and, and that kind of thing. So Radiant Black continues to be a really, really good series. So I definitely recommend it. Uh, okay, let's give a rundown on some of the other books that you might want to be on the lookout for today. Um, there's a new series starting from a blaze called life zero. Um, and uh, I'm not that familiar with it. The solicitation doesn't give a lot of um, a, a lot of clues about what's going on. It just says, where were you when the cloud arrived? Where were you when the world changed forever? Where were you when people started dying? So, oh, okay. Uh, but the, for, for, the aforementioned Marco Cicchetto is the artist on it. So I thought I would mention it. It looks pretty interesting. Uh, I, may, I may pick up a copy when I hit up my, my LCS because uh, it does look interesting. Uh, from Aftershock, we had uh, the Bylines of Blood that we talked about, issue number two. There's also Baby Teeth, volume four, trade paperback, which finishes up that series. And Land of the Living Gods, number one, which, um, which is interesting. Uh, it's, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic future set in Africa where this, uh, this girl after her mother is murdered, uh, and it's definitely a scarcity of goods and, and people hunting around, um, and killing each other for resources and whatnot. And this girl has this plant that is a, a big, a big resource that, that can do a lot of special things. Um, and she goes out with some information that she's gotten after her mother is killed to try to find some answers. Um, and she's, so it seems like a little bit of a, a coming of age, like travel adventure kind of uh, story set in this post-apocalyptic world with a lot of um, African influences. So uh, as, as usual with the Aftershock titles, um, quality stuff. So, uh, all right, moving on here from Boom Studios. 
We've got the latest Buffy the Vampire Slayer miniseries is up to issue three of four. Magic the Gathering comic is up to issue 11. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, written by Ryan Parrott, has issue 16 out today. And Seven Secrets, the Tom Taylor, uh, Daniel uh, Nicolo series is up to issue number 14. From Dark Horse, Last Flight Out, number four of six from Mark Guggenheim is out. That's a very good series. Over at DC, again, you can hear our thoughts on all these books over on the DC Spotlight. Batgirls, number three. Batman Catwoman, number 10. Batman Urban Legends, number 12. Black Manta, number six of six, which finished off that series. Detective Comics, number 1052, continuing the Shadow of the Bat story, which is really fantastic. Future State Gotham, 10. I Am Batman, number six, which is a great, great, perfect jumping on point if you want to read the Jace Fox Batman, the African-American Batman. He's relocated to New York City. You can jump on with this issue. You don't need to read anything about the Jace Fox version of Batman before you jump on this issue. And uh, it's a fresh start. He's in New York. He's out from out from under the shadow of Bruce Wayne. Uh, so you can jump on if you're interested. Uh, Joker's up to issue 12. We get the uh, Justice League 2021 annual number one, even though it's coming out in 2022. Um, Pennyworth number seven finishes up the Alfred Pennyworth miniseries. Strange Love Adventures number one, one shot. That is basically DC's Valentine special for this year. There's not a bad story in the bunch. Um, and especially the Sergeant Rock story really, really was fantastic with great art. Uh, Suicide Squad Blaze number one of three was also really, really good. Really a different version of Suicide Squad, maybe a little more thought-provoking, but really brutal and visceral and bloody. So definitely for mature readers, that's a black label book. Uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El is up to issue number eight. And then we've got Titans United number six, which is the penultimate issue of that uh, with only issue seven to go. Uh, over at Image, King of Spies, number three of four from Mark Miller is out. The Prophet, number one, reprint facsimile edition, which I, I like the idea of these facsimile editions when books are, get really, really pricey and you just want to own a copy, you know, physical copy of it. But what I don't agree with is they, they're doing six covers. Like, no, if you're doing a fix, facsimile edition, you just reprint it with whatever covers that came out with originally or just reprint the main cover don't don't you know create new covers for this i don't agree with that because then it's not it's not a facsimile like these other covers they didn't they didn't come out when profit one came out so why are you putting a new cover on it like i don't know it bugs me um anyway that's just that's just me uh also scorch number two which is the Spawn Universe team book uh, that's out today. Over at Marvel, in addition to the books that we talked about, we've got, uh, let's see, Hawkeye Kate Bishop, number four. New Mutants, number 24. Secret X-Men, number one, which I did read, found interesting. It's by Tinney Howard. It's everything to do with the X-Men mixed up with the Shi'ar Empire and um, working alongside Lady Deathbird and whatnot. Uh, in the Star Wars corner of the Marvel Universe, Star Wars Darth Vader number 20, Star Wars Rise of the Sith Omniverse hardcover, and Star Wars The High Republic Trailed Shadows number 505. Uh, let's see, I 
think that might be it. Is there anything else to mention? No, did you have anything you wanted to shout out, Jay? Oh, yeah, I got a source point press. I got a good boy number three. It's the final uh, three of three. It's uh, Garrett Gunn, Christina Blanche, and artist is uh, Kurt Wayless. And the covers are by Nick Bradshaw. I like Nick Bradshaw's artwork. It's just John Wick, but as a dog, as a main character, because in this world, dogs are just like humans. And it's kind of, it's been a fun story. And, and this issue, it pretty much just says, in this issue, everybody dies. So we'll, we'll see how they tie that up. And uh, with Scout Comics, we got uh, Cult of Icarus, number one of four. Uh, it's about a girl. Her, Hunter, her name is Hunter. And uh, she's like a punk rock, you know, drinking hardcore party girl. But uh, she ends up, she's actually, uh, she kills vampires. So she got to run with the cults from what I read in the, about it. And then from artist writers and associates and artisans, I'm sorry. It's uh, fourth man. Number two, it's uh, loosely based on a true crime story where we got like dead bodies found in a parking lot. So it's, it's, it's been for the first story was the first issue was really fun. So I'm kind of looking for the second one. Cool. Uh, yeah. Some definitely some good, uh, some good choices there. Uh, I've been reading a lot of um, AWA stuff. I, I missed that fourth man. Number one, definitely, look, definitely has based on the cover that I'm looking at. It definitely has sort of a, like a reservoir dogs or, or heat feel, you know, definitely sort of crime. So it's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it. Everybody. We hope you get a chance to get out to your comic shop and buy some comics this week. Uh, once again, we want to thank you all for joining us and we will, Talk to you next time. Have a good one. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes, as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.